it's uh, something I To me, uh, I feel like it's less important about what God wants us to say, but what God wants to do in people. God always has an intent and purpose. And sometimes, and particularly uh, we live in a time where I think we're blessed in often our worship, perhaps in other seasons or in other sort of um, uh, streams of the church, where we understand there's an experiential, some might use the word, there's an existential thing going on that's bigger than ourselves. We're open to that. The danger of that is we think that it's all about just getting a buzz on Sunday morning, and it's just so much more important than that. And that is a caricature of perhaps the Pentecostal church or charismatic, charismatic or contemporary church that, ah, oh, they're just all touchy-feely. You've heard, oh, those happy, clappy songs, those touchy-feely songs. Well, actually, sometimes that's a fair critique. We can be like that if we think that coming along and a good time in worship is just so we get a bit of a buzz. God wants to do something in people's lives. So coming into those moments and just maybe dwelling for a moment and expecting that God's going to work through each other, this platform's important, this pulpit's important, the microphone's important. Not everyone gets to hold it. There's a reason. There's a sort of a, a um, uh, what's the word? There's, there's kind of a criteria. There's some reasons why people are holding it. But that, not for a moment, says that we as a church think that that's the sum total of where God's going to speak to. So uh, creating a space and an expectation. And here's the thing that really will transform us. And actually, I think I'm speaking to something that my experience at Cornerstone has always been true. If you turn up Sunday by Sunday expecting God's going to use you to do something for someone else, wow, there's a church I want to be a part of. A hundred or however many people turning up walking in the door saying, I'm expecting at some stage there's probably going to be a prompting for me to say something or do something that's going to speak into someone's life that's going to leave them more encouraged, more affirmed, stronger, full of faith, whatever it is. Who wants to be surrounded by that 100 people? If you turn up each week and think, gee, I hope the worship leader I like is the one that's on today. I hope the preacher I like is on today or he preaches from the message I like and because then it'll be a good morning for me. Now we're in trouble. You're in trouble because you're probably going to be disappointed. I'll be okay because I'm not expecting that. I'm just going to, we're going to bring the word. Our worship leaders, I'm not going to have them. It's not fair for them to work under that expectation or anyone else. You're going to be disappointed. You turn up prepared to, what's God going to, what's God going to use me? How's God going to use me to, to bless others? There's a church I want to be a part of. And so, hence, we, we want to kind of give space for that. Um, we can do that, you know, in those kind of moments. We're not going to do that every week, but uh, I feel like that's what being the church is about. And then I'm seeing some nods, so I'm affirmed we'll do that if I keep doing that and there's just complete silence. Or the same people saying the same things, you know. Because uh, we're not there. But good, okay, that's it. We'll close in prayer and we'll go home. Beach, Beach has brought the word. Uh, I just did a bit of it. That was great. Thank you. Isn't it good? I mean, that's exactly. It's good to hear 
who is in, I, I have said hello to Beatrice, I'm aware of Beatrice, but now I feel like I know Beatrice. I know there's like a target for my prayers when I'm praying about Beatrice. And I've got some specifics. Do you remember Joy's, um, again, that statement Joy made about the prayer? What is it? I don't remember it. It was good though. The targeted prayers, she talked about the uh, a cannon and on the side of the cannon, effective when aimed well. It had a little on the side of a, a, a gun and she said prayers like that. They're more effective when aimed well. And so when we know each other, don't you feel like you can just target your prayers a little bit more? Um, which is not to say God doesn't respond to the prayers that are the sort of big open where we're praying to something we're not aware of. But it's good. Okay, I shall be, as we go along, doing some editing of what I will. So if this feels like, oh, just if this feels like there's about 10 minutes missing there that doesn't make sense, you're probably right. Um, because we want to finish doing another thing together at the end, which is having communion together. So as awesome, as brilliant as I think I am as a preacher and how good this is, uh, we want to make sure we've got time for doing what we need to do together. So we have been doing this series called Sent. Uh, his work, your world. In brackets, we know it's his world too, but the idea of what we're leaning into uh, and exploring is the truth, the big truth that God is up to up something in the world. He's got a mission. He's got a purpose. Uh, it, he is reconciling all things back to himself. He is restoring and redeeming and renewing the, the relationship that God has that we see clearly in Genesis where he creates this world where humanity is in perfect relationship with him. Humanity is in perfect relationship with each other and humanity is in perfect relationship with the environment, with the created world. Well, um, it's not like that now. <laughs> and, and it seems to be, it, uh, it seems to be that it's moving very much in a direction away from those things. In, in each one of those realms, people's relationships with God, humanity's relationship with God, with each other and with the created world, uh, is sort of, it's, it's really marked by chaos and decay. And it does, by the way, um, there are plenty of stories of where in each one of those realms there is redemption and restoration going on as well, where God is doing something. You've got to search a little bit. It takes a little bit of intent to go looking for it, but I've found it's worthwhile to do that. Um, you're probably not going to get it too much through mainstream media and things like that, but even then it's there. And, and we, 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 we recognize those stories as even just universally, regardless of whether you identify as a follower of Jesus or not, as good, as right. Well, the good news is God is doing that. The challenging news is he's doing it through us. His plan A is through us. Love to pray those prayers where God just sends magic bullets and fixes things. And I've actually experienced some magic sort of bullets and supernatural things in my life. It seems to be, in fact, it's more than it seems to be. I would, I would say if you read Scripture carefully, his plan is actually through us. That is his plan. We are God's. It's the, called the human, it's, theologically, it's human agency. God works through people. Um, so the more we can lean in and understand what he's doing, the more we can get on his mission rather than trying to get him, convince him to be on our mission, the more we become and flow with what God's up to in the world. That seems like a good idea. If you're here and you believe that there is an ultimate truth, there's an ultimate creator, there's a God that's worth following, 
then it kind of makes sense. You want to flow with what he's up to. Um, the great news, so the good news, the challenging news, the great news is you don't have to become a professional Christian. You don't have to become a pastor to be on mission with God. In fact, it's really important you don't do that. That's great news for you. You don't have to have those awkward conversations when you meet, when someone says, so what do you do? Say, well, I'm actually a pastor of a church. Crickets, usually afterwards, by experience. Hmm. Play any sport? Well, that's usually what comes next, quickly moving on. Um, and this is the thing that actually his plan A is that every single morning when you wake up and step out your door, actually before you step out your door, you wake up with some level of consciousness and intent that God is going to use you, that God is sending you, that as you step out the door, God views you as his agent and missionary to the world that you inhabit. That's how he views you. He's The full resources of heaven have been provided to back you up as you do that. Um, so there's this whole way of living and engaging, living scent. This is what we're talking about. You live like a missionary to your world, understanding that as you come across things, as God brings you across things that you think are wrong or broken or unfair, unjust, they stir your heart. You get that sort of inner witness of the Spirit. This is not good. It probably also means he's prompting you to do something about that. Often in small ways before big ways, actually. That's also good news. Lest we think we've got to become, you know, social justice warriors or crusaders or start a big campaign. No, it's usually not. It's usually talking to someone. <laughs> it's usually showing someone you, your concern or your love or your care. So that's what living sent is. We are all sent. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are sent to your world. As a church, we are sent to this community. We are sent because God is ascending God. It's not just something he does. He is the missio Dei, the sending God. God sends Jesus. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sends the church. And so the idea is, again, we're meant to live in this posture that God, we're on mission. We have a purpose. And it will transform, again, your, the world that you live in. It's a different lens to look at through. We are a church that has been sent. Firstly and foremost, as Josh said it before, what does it look like to be the people of God? Uh, individually in your world, but collectively. We've actually got this identity of being the people of God, cornerstone of the people of God here in Mina Parade, Aldley. Starts in our community. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Engaging all those levels, but it starts here, what's in front of us. And it is a season, and this is why I think this is an important thing for us at the moment, because it's in a, it is a season where there's change and transition, where we're it's rediscovering what does that mean for us now? How do we get on mission here? So we've been looking at that. We've had some uh, great speakers uh, come and talk about how they've done that in their own world. Last week, uh, Josh uh, preached a great message. If you weren't here last week, well, that was silly, wasn't it? Because uh, you missed out. It's on the podcast. Go check it out. It is good. Um, in all seriousness, again, it's this expectation thing. God's up to something afoot here. We should probably expect that when we gather together, he wants to speak to all of us at the same time. I mean, you know, I know he's got the whole supernatural omnipresent thing going on. He does just like to speak to everyone at the same time. It's something about hearing something at the same time. And every, just about every week, I feel like I come away from Sunday morning when we gather with a sense of, wow, that was, that was for us. 
And my and I get man, hear me, hear me. I get what life is like. I get how busy and full life is, and it's just you know, it's not possible every week. I do feel if you give me the grace, I do feel if you are like heart and soul at Cornerstone, this is not a season to be casual about your attendance because God's forming us together for a purpose. And, and he's shaping. And, and again, last week I felt there was two stories I want to launch off from in the time we've got briefly. There was two stories um, that Josh told that I felt like are real stories for us. One was actually the, the sort of the main metaphor or story of the sermon. And another was something that happened quite spontaneously, which actually was probably, I reckon, the best thing that happened, for me, one of the best things that happened so far this year in our church life. So now do you feel bad about not being here? Now it, it was... It was this great spontaneous little thing. Both of them, I feel like, were real stories for us, for the journey. Because I'm not a smart man. I like stories. I remember stories. Um, I'm encouraged by the fact that Jesus seemed to think that that was probably the best way to tell the important stuff too. Um, so these two stories were, were really helpful. And we're just quickly going to touch on them and, um, and, and probably underline or draw something out. Uh, do you remember this? Josh was talking about in the sort of age of discovery, the 1800s, there was this mythical um, North Passage, Northwest Passage, sorry, that at that stage, sorry, a bit of, little bit of revision here, but just to remind you, you know, the kind of the centre of the, the Western world was Western Europe, the expanding new world was in the Americas and then actually in Asia, South Pacific. And so previously, the way to get there from Western Europe was down underneath long journey, uh, underneath the Americas and into the Southern Pacific. And there had been this kind of mythical idea that actually if you could really shortcut it, if you went across the top, if you went across the top of uh, the Americas, the Canada, you find this is the Northwest Passage, uh, would be literally, and it was as it was opened up, a, a literal um, game changer for the world because of what it made accessible. A guy called... Um, um, I was going to say Hamilton, that's his name. Franklin. Franklin was a, a discoverer who set out on a journey to find this Northwest Passage. And it has served as a cautionary tale for so many. It's a, it's a bit sort of a leadership um, analogy. It's a, it's a, it's a metaphor for so many things because it was famously ill-prepared in a lot of ways. Um, and also it was tragic because they all died. So not a great end in that sense. Um, but Josh remember, told us about all of the things that they found in the ice when they actually went to look for them all. There was all these things that they took with them. Now, some of them make a lot of sense. This is a picture of a few of them. But there were things like, do you remember, a library of a thousand books that was taken. Uh, there was 11 or something or other China, bone China tea sets, because they're English. They've got to have tea. You have tea, it needs to be in bone China, particularly if you're in the Arctic. That really makes sense. So there was all this stuff that they took, and the metaphor is this was just burdening them down. It was unnecessary for what they were doing. They were trying to find a new way. And actually they're taking all these things that they assumed were essential for the old way, for where they'd been. But it wasn't just that. Do you remember they came across um, as they, you know, it's all going south really quickly, and they're sort of walking and trying to find a way to how to survive in the Arctic. And they came across some indigenous people, the Inuit, who knew a thing or two about surviving the Arctic? And the stories that came emerged was that these uh, native uh, Inuits were really surprised that when they sort of offered them food, um, particularly whale blubber, 
they actually discarded all of the stuff that they knew, like the, the, the whale fat, which is what they needed. They discarded all of that and boiled up the other stuff and I don't know, maybe made whale tea or whatever it was for their bone china. So there's also this thing of taking stuff that's unnecessary for the journey just because we think it's a must, but also not listening to the culture of what's already there, what got, in, a, in a way, or what God has already placed there for your survival and your prospering. So it's this amazing tale. We looked at that. And um, Josh, in looking through that lens, Josh made these three points. Living sent. If we're going to really inhabit this idea that God is sending us wherever we go every day, we... Living scent means not letting our don'ts and our do's get in the way of what God wants to do. And so clearly this metaphor of, um, of Franklin's journeys, we see that. Leaving the familiar behind and trusting the supply of the Holy Spirit. So again, we, we see that really what was required was, in a way, perhaps these, um, uh, it's possible to, to see how these indigenous people were kind of God's provision for them if they'd listened trusting that, but they didn't. They hadn't left the familiar behind what seemed right to them. Uh, and understanding our place is always the centre of God's plan. So we looked at those things. And the other lens that Josh looked at, and I think this is really good, I want to sort of just press into something here for a moment. Um, we looked at, we, ex- we sort of drew these points out of um, Jesus' interaction, the biblical lens, with Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well, Samaritan woman at the well. I love this picture because it's almost assuredly nothing like what it would have looked like. <laughs> Jesus has had an encounter with Jesus somewhere in Western Europe, by the look of it, by the surrounding, and he is uh, some kind of Jedi warrior as well. It's a, it's a bit of humor. It's funny, but pictures from that time. In a life full of scandal, in terms of the way in which Jesus engaged his culture, it was scandalous. He just went from one one experience of smashing bone china teapots and burning books to another, where he constantly was stepping over and sort of contravening what was expected of people who were followers of God. What the do's and don'ts, if we go back to this phrase, not letting our do's and don'ts and do's get in the way of what God wants to do. Actually, Jesus was constantly moving out of the side, this sense of what we should be doing. This was kind of a high point because there was just so much that was controversial about Jesus as he's engaging in his world, as he's moving around. Here he is meeting at a time in the day when he shouldn't have been there with someone he should not have been talking to, um, uh, with someone because she was a Samaritan who, if he was going to have interaction with him, then it would have been understood. He needed to make it really clear that he understood you're my enemy, your your, your people um, are sort of outside of God's plan. And actually Jesus, if we understand how Jesus engages with this woman, he treats her like a, like you would a friend. He sat down at a gathering place and had a conversation about all sorts of intimate stuff and showed a softness and tenderness when this should have been someone who he his posture should have reflected the fact that I understand you are outside of God's plan. 
that you are not of God's spirit. And actually, the way I should relate to you almost should, you know, it's like a, it should be marked by a hostility and a distance. Instead, Jesus does the complete opposite. And so, like I said, he is religiously, and in a religious sense, burning books and smashing teapots, left, right, and center. And so as we, you know, I, I really just, I feel like for us, I want, I want to dwell on this. Who's in your world that actually perhaps you need to consider or take a posture towards not as someone who is outside God's plan? What group of people do you relate to or what individual person do you relate to as though you want to give the impression that, look, you're, you're not of, you're, you're not a part of uh, God's plan. You are, because of the lifestyle choices you have, because of the religion you might belong to, because of all manner of numbers, because of the way, even what denomination you belong to. The do's and don'ts of my religious life would say that there needs to be a, a separation, a gap. And actually, Jesus spent, and I'm, I'm kind of jumping straight to the point here for the sake of time. If we're going to find a Northwest Passage in Alderley and in this city, then we've got to smash some China teapots. And we've got to burn some books of the do's and don'ts. And last week, Josh, he used the word compromise. He talked about this idea of um, new kinds of worshippers means new ways of worship. It's true. It's true. And he used the word, and he used actually the example, uh, he used the word compromise. He used the example of the incarnation that God compromised in the incarnation of Jesus. And straight away, I went, oh, Josh, oh, oh, there'll be emails. If not to you, to me. Thank you for them. No, I didn't give it to you. But it's an uncomfortable word. I reckon... I'm sure if I did that, I'm sure some of you did that. Because we know that there is some things that are eternal truths. I'm a, I'm a person and a believer who, who, who thinks that in, I don't have a Bible here, in here, in my phone, in the Bible, there we are, that's old school, so you can trust it. It's paper. In here are truths that are of eternal value and regardless of time and culture, uh, I believe Jesus is the way, not a way, the way, the truth, the life. I believe that. So, and there's a whole lot of things about life and living in the Word of God here that it doesn't matter where you live at or what time or what gender, they're just right. I believe that over here. And I'm getting nods and I know maybe some of you now feel a little bit reassured. But I also absolutely believe, and I wonder if you believe that actually there is such a thing as um, uh, compromising, not in terms of less than a standard, but in terms of finding an agreement and a way forward. The way in which Jesus compromised his position as absolute, uh, his absolute divinity as the Son of God. Philippians says that he thought that that was, Philippians 2 said, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who who thought that equality with God was not something that he should hold on to, but instead humbled himself. There's a compromise. 
He came and lived and dirtied himself and found him found himself in places. In fact, chose to present himself in places like a well in a place with a woman woman at a time of day, uh, with someone with such a background that his reputation was absolutely compromised. You ever thought about that? The reputation of God was compromised and he was happy to do it. Think about that for a moment. He chose to do that. So if we are going to follow the, the example of Jesus, then over here on this extreme, we've got to say, well, what does that look like for us? What does it look like for you? If you're going to live sent, what does that look like for you? And then we've got to hold these two things together and live in here. And actually, that sucks. That's really hard. I, I, even in my life, I'm not super old, but even in my lifetime, I feel like it was, I, I feel like I remember a time where it seemed easier. It feels like it seems more difficult. Some of you are so much older than me. It's not funny. And I hear that. I hear that at times. Not that you're that much older than me. I just see that. That's obvious. But I hear that that sense in which it's, you know, the, the, the challenge of living between the uncompromising uh, truths of who we are and what we need to do to find a Northwest Passage in our city is increasingly difficult. Uh, but that's where we choose to be. That's where Jesus chooses to be. So how do we do that? How do we negotiate that? Again, how, how does, what's Jesus, if Jesus is sending us into that place, he's sending us into this difficult world, is he helping us out here at all? Is, does he expect, surely he knows how hard this is, or maybe he doesn't. I think he does. Leaving the familiar behind and trusting the supply of the Holy Spirit. Trusting the supply of the Holy Spirit. This is why I'm a Pentecostal. Not in, you know, there's Pente- I had a conversation with someone this week. Most of the times when people use the word Pentecostal, they're actually talking about culture. They're talking about a worship style. They're not really talking about a deep theology or conviction about what is what it makes a Pentecostal. Most of it's just about styles of worship. I could, not that I could care less about that, but that's there's no, there's no deep conviction there. That's that's just that's just a method, a way. But in terms of the role and the activity of the Holy Spirit. I'm so deeply Pentecostal because that's actually what we've been given in those moments. See, when when you go to work tomorrow and you're between those two poles that I'm thinking, I'm suspecting for most of you, you say are valid, you, you, you would agree that there are eternal truths that must be faithfully held onto for dear life. And also, we've got to find a Northwest Passage here because we believe actually in this is life for people. It's future. And we want people in our world to experience that. We love them and care for them. but So we've got to find a way to communicate that. And our bone china tea sets don't seem to be cutting it anymore. So if you believe both of those things, congratulations. I would say you're in complete agreement with Scripture and with Jesus. If you believe one over the other, I would say you need to, again, I was going to put this so much more eloquently if we had more time, so I'll just be blunt. If you lean towards one or the other, I think you're out of step with the way Jesus lived his life. He, he says we've just got to hold two. We've got to hold both of those true. He, not just he, he lived a life that said you've got to hold both of those two. He spent 
after three years on earth with his reputation before the most religious people in tatters. He seemed to be comfortable with that. The people who were the religious police, he was okay with the fact that they actually felt like he was not of God at all. He was comfortable with that. He was deeply tethered to the truth of who he was in God and who God is. In the middle, he says, I'm going to send you a helper. You know, I took that word paraclete. I'm going to send you a helper. That word is counselor, the one who walks alongside. When um, we talked about this, when you're going on a journey, that Jesus actually in Luke 9, uh, he says to his disciples, they're going on their first missionary journey, he says, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. He just says, go, go. Everything you need. Trust that all that you will need if you're going to live this missional lifestyle. Everything you need will be out there. Just go. Don't wait until you've got it all together. Just go. They come back. They were really excited. He sends out more and he says exactly the same thing. Don't wait. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs. On That was very encouraging of him. Thank you. Good little pep talk. Pep talk. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. Jesus' expectation is that you're going to travel light and you're just going to go and trust the supply of the Spirit. Now, in Acts 1, he changes it slightly. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father promised, which you've heard me about, heard me speak about. He's saying there's actually one essential thing that you've got. And this is remembering, this is right before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's always been there. The Holy Spirit's always been a member of the Trinity, right there at creation. So it's not like the Holy Spirit was new, but it was this new era in the way in which the Holy Spirit, the way in which you will, as followers of Jesus, will experience the Holy Spirit. And that is that He will be He will be working. You'll be it's like you'll be immersed in Him. He's so present, He's so available that as you walk into that situation that you feel is between a rock and a hard place in your work, you can trust the supply of the Spirit for wisdom. Now, my experience in how that works out has been a lot of trial and error. But actually, in key points in my life and and in those experiences, when we're saying, what does it look like to look for the Northwest Passage of new ways to engage for the sake of the gospel in our community, for the sake of my friend's life? What have I got to leave behind? What have, what what's What's the risk I should need to take? Make no mistake, if you want to, live this missional lifestyle, you have got to be comfortable with risk. You've got to smash some China teapots. You've got to burn some books. The story that, just as we finish, the story that um, that Rob told with uh, with Ashley, he catches up regularly. I didn't know you did this. He catches up regularly with Ashley. Um, and uh, so Ashley, uh, if you know, well, Ashley's with, with, with us most weeks and is... Um, uh, uh, every second week, and and is it Sarah? So, yeah, so, so Sarah Palsy, and he's he's in our midst, and he's um, you know I've said good day to him, and uh, you know he is one of us in our midst. Rob told this story where they go out and they have a drink, uh, they catch up for coffee, and they play this game. Well, Rob thought it was a game with the straw, so they buys him his drink. There's a straw there, and Ashley would always take it out. And Rob thought, well, he's going to need the straw to drink, so he'd always put it in. And he just thought it was a game. They continually play. 
And wasn't it great? As soon as we started telling you, so Ashley knew where, where this was going and how silly you were about to look, and he just started laughing. I think it was such a great moment. But here's Rob, who cares about Ashley and knows here's, a, here's water here. I want, we're here to, for him to have nourishment and enjoy this drink. He's going to need that straw. Kept putting it in. You're going to need, because for Rob, who desperately wanted him to have the, the drink, the straws are part of the drink. When he actually went and had a, you know, sort of said, something funny is going on with one of Ashley's carer. The carer said, oh, actually, he doesn't use the straw. He doesn't need the straw. The straw's getting in the way of him getting the drink. And I felt like that was just a moment where God gave us that story from Ashley in our midst to say, we've got to get rid of some straws. There's some things that we think. Because we're so keen, because we're so passionate uh, for, for this. Uh, let's go to this one. John 4, same passage. Jesus says to the woman, well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but he, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. There's people in your world that you're desperate. You see how dry they are and you want them to drink water. And if they're going to drink the water, they're going to have to use that straw, aren't they? Because that's, that's how you got the water. Or they're going to have to use that cup or they're going to have to have that kind of flavor or they're going to insert whatever it is. Whereas Jesus is saying, no, there's just life-giving water here. We need to just listen to our culture and be close enough to people, not distance like the Samaritan world, not consider them as outside or other than or because of the choices they've made. They're, that distance, we've got no way of actually understanding how that life-giving water needs to come. We believe there's a fundamental truth that there is life-giving water available to everyone. Challenges when we come become passionate about that. And the, usually it's the way in which we've experienced the water, the straw that we've drunk through. We assume that that's part of, that's the way you get water. And it could be, again, I'm so in danger of mixing too many metaphors here, but it just could be a straw or a bone china teacup and all it's doing is getting in the way. All it's doing getting in the way. This is one of those sermons where I have so little application points for you right now, it's not funny. But partly because I think I actually think God's just saying we've got to do a bit of work. We've got to be too easy for me to say, well, that looks like this for a church. That looks like this for your life. When actually you need to trust the supply of the Holy Spirit. Because I reckon there's few questions that he wants to lead you to discover more. Because I could give some sort of answer there and that would just conveniently or perhaps be used as a way for you to not ask a very risky, dangerous question of the Spirit. I think I think you guys, I think we all need to ask it. I also think we've got to ask it and find solutions for us together as a church as well. True? I had a much better ending. I can't forget what it was. I can't remember what it was. I really want to, I feel like it would be such a good thing to end in communion. So where did my PowerPoint go? But Daisy's decided we should finish. So we're going to do... I'm trusting the supply of the Holy Spirit through my daughter. We'll, we're going to do, no, we're going to, we'll, uh, I'm really keen on us leaving time for fellowship. I really believe what happens out there sometimes is going to be just as important, if not more, than what happens in here. So each week, as much as we can, we're going to try and finish near 11. So that, because I notice when we go sort of 10 past, you get fidgety, so do I. Um, and what tends to happen is everyone scoots off. Even if we go 10 minutes, whereas if actually, it's this funny people dynamic thing. 
We all finish on time. We have a free. Everyone stays and have a cup, and you'll stay till eleven thirty. Again, it doesn't make sense. Not rational, but that's people for you. But what we do out there afterwards is just as important as powerful. Particularly if you're going to be one of those people who comes each week and says, "I wonder how God's going to use me. I wonder how. I wonder who, who's God's going to bring in front of me that I can speak a word into, encourage." So, in a church like that. That time out there in here is just as important as anything I'd say. So I'm going to have a, just a really abrupt end right now. Um, someone here uh, has got a really great prayer to pray right now for us. I'm just wondering who it is. The Lord will show me, but yeah, someone might want to volunteer. Or the Lord might not show me, even worse, and I'm just going to pick someone. It's going to be even more awkward. So would anyone just love to wrap up Barry? It's you. I thought it would be. Thank you, mate. <laughs> Could you pray for us, brother, as we go? This was produced by Cornerstone Christian Resources. It is deemed copyright and may be used by permission. For further information about Cornerstone Christian